Hi everyone, and welcome to this brand new show. Just a quick word of warning up front, like so many other projects, with this being brand new, I'm afraid we have had some degree of teething problems, namely that Connor mucked up the recording for our first batch of episodes, so please do know that the audio quality for this series will pick up significantly three or four episodes in. Still, if you're happy with the vibe of a high-quality radio phone-in, Hey, if it's good enough for the Cracked podcast, it's good enough for us. Settle in, because everything else about Development Hell is on point! Like, subscribe, tell a friend, enjoy! Hello everyone, and welcome back to Diminishing Return- I'm sorry, uh, welcome back to <laughs> Development Hell, um, uh, a podcast uh, starring Saul Harris and Connor Murray, <laughs> and we talk about films that have been stuck in development hell, basically. Um, you know, all the films that could have been, that might have been, why weren't they made, who didn't make them. It's a story of, of failure, really, and uh, <laughs> that, that's what we're doing. We are exploiting other people's failures for our benefit. What are we talking about this week? Well, 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 continuing the uh, diminishing returns um, <laughs> lineage theme... Uh, we're we're doing Spider Man, which we we covered in depth on that show uh, a while ago. I I do a podcast called Diminishing Returns. In case you haven't come to this show via that show, uh, my name's Sol. Connor here has been on that show uh, at least once, possibly more by the time that this gets out. <laughs> so go check it out if you want. Connor, is there is there anything you want to plug <laughs> whilst we're doing this? Um, uh, I'll I'll plug my feature film script whenever I finish it. I'll plug that then. Well, this might take a while to get edited and get out there, so so let, let's just assume it's done now. So go see On the Boat, <laughs> yeah. Living on the Boat in cinemas now, this February. This reminds me of, did you ever watch a catchphrase? <laughs> yeah, with Mr. Chips, was he called? The weird little... Yeah, they had a new host for catchphrase, and on the very first show he broke his leg or something, like what, like when he was running down the stairs, like through the audience. <laughs> And they record, you know, like, so many episodes in one day, right? So yeah. he had that cast on on the TV show <laughs> over a year, I think, because <laughs> they did so many episodes, but all with that cast on him. <laughs> so it was over really? a year, uh, like, 52 episodes or whatever like that. Yeah, he had that cast on, and everyone, that, everyone was like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? On that note, half of this season of podcast episodes will feature me with a cold. So, uh, you'll, you'll probably be used to it more than my normal voice. And I'm going to get staggeringly drunk over the course of a year. <laughs> <laughs> but not not even progressively drunk as the year goes on, because we might put them out of order, so it might just be, you know, <laughs> hungover in August. <laughs> just the entire month of August. Uh, th- this week, yes, we are doing Spider-Man uh, as a sort of broad concept. I, I wanted to talk about Spider-Man 4, which is a film that was getting made officially for a while. Sony officially announced it, work was being done, and then it never happened. Uh, But there's actually a whole myriad unmade Spider-Man films. 
there's a whole wealth of them. For the benefit of our viewers who maybe, or listeners, excuse me, who maybe don't know, uh, or maybe haven't heard of Spider-Man, what is Spider-Man about? Spider-Man is about a man uh-huh. and a spider who find each other at a time of need, <laughs> and the spider bites him and uh, imbues him with spider powers, spider-themed superpowers, uh, and these vary from project to project. I think traditionally they include super strength, uh, a spider sense, a kind of sixth sense warning you of danger, and because comic books are bullshit, he's also a super genius kid, even before the powers, and so he also builds some uh, military-grade tech <laughs> to enhance his powers that allow him to shoot webs like a spider and swing around and stuff. And he fights bad guys. And he does it in New York, largely, because there's lots of skyscrapers for him to swing around with his webs. It's the only place you can be Spider-Man, I think. In any, in a lot of other cities, you'd have to be one of those Spider-Men that just crawls on the floor. You could do it in a giant in a giant redwood forest. He'd, he'd be a good guardian of the, uh, the giant redwood forest in in uh, California. Uh-huh. Uh, we've had quite a few Spider-Man films at this point, but cast your minds back to, well, 1983, I suppose, is, is the best place to start with all this. There, there was a, a film in particular released in 1983 that paved the way somewhat for the future of the Spider-Man franchise. I don't know if you can take a hazard at what it is. <laughs> uh, Superman 3 came out, and that was... I mean, we just didn't really have superhero films back then. We had Superman, and then they did Superman 2, and then they did Superman 3. We'd had a handful of things that you could say were superheroes, like Flash Gordon would probably just about qualify the old movie serials. and uh-huh. Yeah, in terms of like conventional, classic, obvious comic book superheroes... Yeah, it was basically Superman and Batman. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so Superman 3 came out and it was a a box office failure, I think. It certainly underperformed. Uh, the film itself isn't massively well regarded because uh, it's a bit crap. And I don't think it did particularly well either. And as a result of that, uh, Hollywood said, ah, superhero films don't make money. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, we know exactly what we're doing. And and they made uh, superhero films a very low priority uh, until about... Well, I mean, it really was X-Men that changed the landscape, but that was, that was you know... Yeah. When was that? Year 2000, I think that was. Uh, so before that, well, Roger Corman took out a load of options on superhero, Marvel superheroes specifically, at some point in the 80s, I believe. The most infamous out- outcome of that, fallout of that, is his Fantastic Four film. I don't know if you've ever seen Roger Corman's Fantastic oh, Four. Oh dear, um, hold, hold on, which Fantastic Four though? Because uh, a couple got made, didn't they? Two, uh, two proper versions got made, but there was a... Basically, Roger Corman held the rights to the Fantastic uh-huh. Four for a while in, in the 80s and the 90s, and his rights were going to expire... It was that classic deal of, if you don't make a film within however many years, then you obviously don't care about owning the rights, and they revert back to Marvel. And so to keep the rights, 
he realised that he just needed to make a really cheap film. Okay. So they produced a Fantastic Four film that I think had a budget of $1 million. (laughs) As far as I'm aware, it never got officially released, but there were bootleg copies of it knocking around on on videotapes and so on. But that came out in 1994, (laughs) and it's famously terrible. $1 million for a superhero film in 1994, like, even top range special effects back then were kind of shoddy never mind if you only had a million dollars for it it's comparable to power rangers i'd say Uh it's that sort of level um and to be to be honest it's a hell of a lot better than it (laughs) they could have turned up and filmed it in a day and they didn't they still made a film (laughs) but i mean it's bad the the guy playing the thing uh i believe his line is something like it's clobbering time, <laughs> and then you know, you know the big third act finale, the big moment when the the hero says something really, really quippy before saving the day. His big finale of a moment is he goes, "Now it's really clobbering time." <laughs> anyway, Roger Corman, he he had a whole load of Marvel uh, rights that he was fucking about with, and he held the rights to Spider Man. This was in 1985 uh, that they expired, and so Marvel then sold the rights to Canon Films for, I believe, uh, the sum of $225,000. I have no idea if that was a lot in the 80s or not, but my understanding is Marvel was in pretty bad financial, a pretty bad financial situation in the late 80s through the 90s. And they just kind of took to selling the film rights to all their characters for not very much money to to try and plug a a gap and and keep keep themselves uh-huh. afloat. Basically, the deal was two hundred twenty five thousand dollars plus a percentage of the revenue, and the rights would revert back to Marvel were a film not made by April nineteen ninety. So similar to that Fantastic Four deal, and it was Toby Hooper who was the director they went gunning for. Toby Hooper. Is that how you say his name? Tobe? Toby. I would say. I would I say Toby. Tobe. Oh, <laughs> I actually have no idea. I, I've, I've always. Well, the the director of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's who we're talking about. Maybe it's Tobe. Maybe it's like French. Hooper. Mm. Uh, so yeah, he was put forward as a director that they went after largely because the producers didn't understand what Spider-Man was. I think they basically thought it was like a 1950s B-movie horror concept, from the sounds of it. Because they also hired Leslie Stevens, who created the Twilight Zone-esque The Outer Limits to write the treatment. Yeah, I mean, basically, Peter Parker gets bombarded with radiation that turned him into a, a hideous, malformed eight-armed spider monster. Oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> which uh, refuses to join the his sort of head scientist's master race of mutants, and then they have a big fight. Uh, so yeah, they didn't know what they were doing. God, that sounds amazing. Yeah, but to be fair, Spider-Man has done similar stories within the comic, it's just not the, the baseline. <laughs> But yeah, that that would have been an incredible film. I would I would love to see a Toby Hooper horror take on yeah. Spider Man, body horror. I mean, I'd rather see it directed by David Cronenberg. But but Stanley, uh, understandably pissed off by what they were planning to do with his character that he created, uh, along with Steve Ditko, depending on who you ask, mm-hmm. he pushed them to overhaul the project with a new story and a, a new script and so on. 
So they hired uh, they hired a guy called Ted Newsom and John Brancato uh, and made a script that was far closer to what we think of as as Spider Man, uh, an origin story with Doctor Octopus and a scientific accident that that turns them both into super beings and so forth, and a big fight to save the day. I mean, they were really, you know, there was a whole load of uh, looking into anti-gravity special effects and things, so they were, you know, mulling it over, I think. There was uh, a guy called Joseph Zito, who had come off of directing uh, another film for canon, uh, Chuck Norris's film Invasion USA, uh, and they brought him in to replace Toby Hooper. Uh, he then hired Barney Cohen to rewrite the script. He is, of course, as you are well aware, Connor, the creator of the first TV sitcom version of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Oh, right, okay. So he is obviously the guy you want yeah. to write your <laughs> big blockbuster film. Yeah, it's obvious Stan Lee really cared about it when they brought him on, yeah. Hey, if you like Development Hell... You might like this other show, Diminishing Returns, where I and another guy called Alan Turing take a guest on a weekly trip to development hell, not this show, the actual thing, to discuss a film then pitch our own ideas for the sequel. And for fans of this show, we've had Connor Murray on at least three times, probably more by the time you hear this. Diminishing Returns is available via all reputable podcast suppliers. Just search for it wherever you found this show, or head to dimreturns.com. Like, around what year are we on now? Late 80s, I think. Because they have to make this film by 1990, otherwise it's it's all for nothing and they can't do it. Okay. They have to release it by 1990. Mm-hmm. Barney Cohen, among other things, added the new catchphrase for Dr. Octopus. Care to take a stab at, at his catchphrase? Uh, <laughs> Don't try to wriggle out of this one. <laughs> You try much too hard. He added the new catchphrase, "Okie dokie." Are you fucking serious? <laughs> Okie dokie. I can totally imagine Willem Dafoe having a good a good stab at that. Oh man, Willem Dafoe would have a good stab at anything. And basically, the the film just went through hundreds of of pairs of hands and eyes, rewriting it, tweaking it, as is often the case in Hollywood. But you know, they they were scouting locations and and uh, putting together storyboards, uh, and it, it was planned for a budget of fifteen to twenty million dollars. So a a big deal making a film for that much money back then. Yeah, it never got to casting, uh, although they apparently were interested in stuntman Scott Lever, who had done a lot of work with Canon, to be presumably the Spider-Man stunt double. Uh, apparently they hired him to make personal appearances as Spider-Man to promote the, the film's production. And at one point they were going after Tom Cruise, or at least talking about him for the lead, which would have been an odd choice, you know? I mean, how old was Tom Cruise in about 1990? He might have been a bit old by then, maybe. Yeah. To say that Spider-Man is traditionally in high school. Yeah, okay. <laughs> if you're talking... When was Risky Business made? Let, let me let me let me bing it here. Hold on, Risky. <laughs> was that was that a reference to Spider Man? What? No. <laughs> Copious use of Bing. <laughs> no, actually, no, that wasn't. <laughs> that that was one of the things the Amazing Spider Man got like really criticised for because they obviously had a product placement deal with Bing because all the characters kept using Bing for everything. 
um yeah risky business was 1983 so tom cruise was okay tom cruise was 21 Mm. uh also considered for this this version of spider-man the canon films one uh bob hoskins as doc ock which i guess makes sense stanley as j jonah jameson which again he's no jk simmons but i can see the thought process i can see the logic uh lauren bacall and Catherine hepburn both being considered for aunt may uh, Peter Cushing was uh, being considered for a sympathetic scientist character, undisclosed, and a guy called Adolf Caesar as a police detective. I have no idea who Adolf Caesar is, but with a name like Adolf, he must have been very old. He must have been born pre-1944. <laughs> so, yeah. I've looked it up and he was born 1933, so it, it was pre World War Two. Before that name was forever tainted. Okay, if it's 1933, then that's very bad timing then, because that's probably when Hitler would have started to mm. become infamous. Well, in, in 1933, the most problematic part of his name was Caesar, that he was named after yeah. a, 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 an emperor who, you know, <laughs> killed millions. That's just bad luck. It's not quite the same, but I, I know someone who called their kid uh, Django. What the? F- why? A when? while ago. Well before. Well, because they like the old cowboy movies from right. the 60s. That was like a really cool name to give your kid, Django. And then obviously Tarantino made Django Unchained, and that went from being a kind of cool nerd reference to, oh, now everyone thinks you're named after Jamie Foxx, and it's just a bit like, uh. Uh-huh. Yeah, names can go wrong. Yeah. Uh, Canon Films made Superman 4, uh, despite Superman 3 being disappointing for them financially. Superman 4, I'm sure you're aware, was a a disaster from start to finish. In order to restructure the company and the plans they had, they slashed the budget to be below $10 million, at which point the director dropped out. Uh, and a load of other people dropped out because they didn't want to compromise on the vision. New writers were brought in to rewrite the script, to lower the budget, take out all the <laughs> expensive stuff. God, what was what was Christopher Reeve thinking? Sorry, just to bring it back to, to Superman Four. I mean, well, he he of course directed it, didn't he? Superman Four. Oh, did he? Sorry, I, I'm I'm talking out of my ass. It was directed by Sidney J. Fury, but I believe it was Christopher Reeve's concept for the okay. film that he insisted on doing because it was a um, a sort of environmental anti-war, anti-nuclear thing. Uh-huh. He has a story by credit. So yeah, I mean, it basically just sounds like it was kind of falling apart. Everyone dropped out. Uh, money got slashed. Lots and lots of rewor- uh, rewrites. After spending about one and a half million dollars on pre-production, the whole thing got shut down. And I think the company itself got bought out by Pathé. Path? Is that how you say it? Okay, alright. They extended the option with Spider-Man to last up until 1992, uh, presumably by paying Marvel a bit of money. So they were still intent on making this thing. They pretty much, from the sounds of it, scrapped the whole thing, started uh, from a new big budget script. Uh, And again, it got budgeted, storyboarded. Uh, They announced a a start production date with ads at uh, the Cannes Film Festival in 1989. A lot of the same writers were still being credited, so it sounds like they kept a lot of the same people on board. And so they sold the the unmade film, pre-sold the film, as is often the case at film festivals and places like that, to raise money with, you know, TV rights being sold to the likes of Sony, and well, Columbia Pictures, I should say, who who were still 
looking to set up a, a studio at this point. Uh, and anyway, the, the film went through a whole load of rewrites. Again, I think there were three specific versions of it that were rewritten during this period. Apparently, Columbia Pictures basically said they were all, quote, essentially the same story. Columbia Pictures were looking to start up their own studio. They they realised very wisely that they needed their own kind of James Bond, was the, the figure that they uh, used as a, an analogue. Because, is it Eon Productions, I believe, who, who own James Bond? Uh-huh. That is their, their bread and butter. And they were just like, look, we need a character a franchise character who can just lead film after film every two or three years, and we've got that staple income coming in. And they saw Spider-Man as their character to do that with. And to be fair, that was a very astute thing they latched onto back then, because Spider-Man is very much Sony's (laughs) central mascot at this point, really, uh, from a film production point of view. It's by far the most lucrative franchise I think they own. Well, film rights too, anyway. But yeah, Columbia were looking to buy Spider-Man. Although that essentially put the canon film to bed, uh, we now enter what I'm going to refer to as a new Spider-Man project that never got made, that I'm far more interested in, which is James Cameron's Spider-Man. Okay, up to this point, Jesus, you're like an investigative journalist with this shit, man, because it's like, I can imagine in your house right now like like a big big chart (laughs) bits of string all over them yeah yeah Yeah. so james cameron's spider-man this is this is an interesting one so spider-man was still a very ambitious thing to bring to screen back then bear in mind you know that the amount of special effects it would Mm -hmm. require in a pre-cgi era to bring this guy swinging around from skyscraper to skyscraper with super strength and so on, to bring that all to life. Yeah, James Cameron is, of course, huge innovator with special effects, so it, it makes it makes huge sense that he would have been drawn to such a project back then, despite now being very dismissive of uh, superhero movies. But is he? I believe he's, yeah, I think he's quite diplomatic, but dismissive of what Marvel are doing and so on. Isn't he going to make like 10 avatars? That's a pretty hypocritical yep. thing to say. Yep, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> um, I mean, they were still, there's so much crossover with with uh, that original Doc Ock script that I mentioned before was still being floated around. Okie dokie. Put up for bid. <laughs> um, Light Emotion Incorporated got involved regarding the special effects. They were talking about doing stop-motion work on it, bringing in Stephen Archer, who worked on Clash of the Titans. Um, so, like I say, you know, we're, we're talking about doing Spider-Man in a stop-motion era. It would have been a very different mm-hmm. film. It was meant to be this huge special effects bonanza. I can't be bothered going into all the companies involved. Carol Co. Pictures and James Cameron writing a screenplay and blah, 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 blah. Basically, at one point, there was a script that had the credited names James Cameron, John Brincato, Ted Newsom, Barry Cohen, and Joseph Goldmari. Is this because of all the previous drafts of this script that's getting constantly sold and put forward and stuff like that? <laughs> I believe so, yeah. Uh, Joseph Goldmari as well was a, a typo, apparently. Of, <laughs> uh, it was meant to be Joseph Goldman. <laughs> but uh, apparently that was almost identical to the script that they were working on for Columbia Pictures the previous year. Anyway, James Cameron was involved now, and he kept wanting to bring on board, guess who? Oh... 
Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yep. No way. Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap, that was such a guess. He was the director's choice to play Dr. Octopus. Which, <laughs> yeah, makes sense, you know. Okay, dokey. He is called Otto Octavius. Uh, I think he has Germanic lineage in, in a lot of the okay. uh, versions of the characters. So, it, you know, it kind of makes sense. Put a lab coat on him. Yeah, I can see yeah. that as well. Cameron basically took it upon himself to start reworking the script. Presumably he wasn't happy with it. Submitting his own outlines and, and reworkings. But but I bet you he left the okey-dokey thing in. You can't top that, man. Well, obviously, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger saying it as well. He needs catchphrases to work with. And yeah, he turned in a version using Electro and Sandman as the villains, but they were kind of reimagined with new names and so on for whatever reason. But it, it sounds like James Cameron was approaching it from the science fiction point of view. Uh, his outline apparently was very... Are you aware of the Philadelphia experiment? Oh, was that, sort of... was that some bullshit that the CIA did? Yeah, it's, it's like a half conspiracy theory thing where allegedly the government were testing into like warping between realities and a load of people got blended with their <laughs> the space around them and they went onto a, a submarine and there were like people stuck in the walls with their arms poking out and stuff like that <laughs> it, it's almost certainly not true but there's it's one of the big conspiracy theories okay. people love James Cameron's film was uh, or is particularly notable or infamous because it had a load of swearing in it and most notoriously uh, it featured a scene where Spider-Man and Mary Jane Watson had sex on the Brooklyn Bridge. Nice! He made a big spider web for them to lie in and then they bang. Oh, that'd be horrible. That'd be all sticky and stuff. It'd be fucking terrifying. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to switch. I mean, unless you're into that. Maybe you're into <laughs> feeling like you're about to die. There <laughs> apparently was a hallucinatory nightmare where Peter Parker dreams himself into Franz Kafka's uh, metamorphosis, which I suppose makes sense. There's elements of it there, yeah. But basically, it, it never happened. They extended the option through to 1996 to give them another five years to to um, pull the whole film together. Fuck's sake. But due to financial and legal problems, I'm, I'm afraid I don't know what exactly the legal problems are uh they they just pulled the plug on developing the film in 1992 so we've gone from it being optioned from 1983 through until 1996 yeah this, this is bananas so one of the big issues that i think held up the film was largely james cameron although not necessarily his fault essentially when james cameron got involved they copied and pasted his terminator 2 contract <laughs> Presumably did Control-F Terminator 2 replace with Spider-Man. So there were loads of bits in there that weren't applicable. Namely, he was given the right to decide on the credits. Uh, also, the, the copywriting, like advertising. There there was a guy uh, called Menahem. <laughs> Menahem Golan. Menahem. He's, he's Israeli. <laughs> Menahem Golan, who uh, was producing the film, but was getting pissed off because he, he wasn't being mentioned in any of the press and he wasn't guaranteed a producer credit so he ultimately sued Viacom. Where, where the fuck did Viacom come into this? I didn't realize Viacom were here now. <laughs> uh, they bought some of the pre-sale rights that I mentioned before. I believe they bought the TV rights to the film. Uh -huh. they, they had a whole lawsuit. James Cameron got pissed off 
because 20th Century Fox got involved. (laughs) They got involved because they claimed due to another contract, they had exclusivity over James Cameron's services as a director. Basically, in 1996, uh, three companies went bankrupt. (laughs) They were Carol Co., 21st Century Fox, and Marvel. Oh, wow. Okay. So... Yeah, uh, real, real shitstorm. And in in the clusterfuck of all this, MGM, Uh another company, enters the fray. Uh, (laughs) It's like Super Smash Brothers, this. MGM entered and acquired all of uh, 21st Century's film library and assets, uh, which included the the rights to fuck about with um, James Cameron's work on Spider-Man. And so James Cameron moved on to something else at this point. Did he? Did he just give up and he's like, fuck it. I think at this point, what was he doing? True Lies? Something like that? Went from Terminator 2 to True Lies. MGM sued all the other companies, <laughs> alleging fraud in their original deal. And then 1998, Marvel basically restructured, came out of bankruptcy, and merged with a company called Toy Biz okay. uh, as part of a, a structural overhaul, which is, I believe, where a guy called uh, is it Avi Arad got involved. He, you see him a lot in Marvel film credits. That rings a bell. He, he was the CEO of Toy Biz, and off the back of this merger started producing some of the biggest films in the world spider-man movies among many many other toy based films and that's pretty much what put the nail in the coffin of the james cameron film about 10 years on spider-man finally happened so so after this james cameron um attempt it was totally shelved basically basically yeah i think all the companies went bankrupt and were just like oh fuck it Somewhere down the line, Avi Arad got this film together with Sony, and they produced Spider-Man. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. 2002, Spider-Man came out. You can go and watch that film now. Uh, Spider-Man 2 followed. It was very successful. Both were very successful. Spider-Man 3 came out. Not so much. I mean, it made a hell of a lot of money, but it was critically far less well-regarded. I didn't think it was that bad. It just... Yeah... You know what? I I mean, I I love Sam Raimi, so I'm a bit biased, but I do have a a soft spot for Spider-Man 3. I don't think it's terrible. So they brought out Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 3, and then they rebooted it, like, every three fucking years after, for some reason. So, so, yeah, Spider-Man 3 was, I believe, 2007, uh, at which point Spider-Man 4 entered development. Mm Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, Spider-Man 4 was at one point being planned alongside Spider-Man 3 to be shot back-to-back as a kind of, you know, as franchises often do, a kind of two-part movie. But they ultimately decided not to do that because Sam Raimi couldn't find a satisfying point in the story where you could kind of go, right, that's the end of Act 1, here's the beginning of Act 2. Mm-hmm. Sam Raimi might not have been able to find a satisfying endpoint for part one, but we have. It's right here. Come back next week for part two, where we will be talking primarily about the more modern Spider-Man movies that Sony has been attempting to get off the ground and, and mostly failing to do so. I think arguably things get more interesting. If you want to make sure that you don't miss next week's episode, why not go ahead and subscribe? Even if you don't like the show that much, it'd be, you know, 
really helpful for us in these early days if you did, so why not just do us a solid subscribe, unsubscribe later? Who gives a... But assuming you've listened this far, you probably do enjoy the show, which we're thrilled about. Find us on Twitter at DevHellPod, and of course find us on the usual podcast outlets. Head to dimreturns.com and click through to the development hell page for more info. See you next time.